Well, thank you, Winston. I was not expecting to be here because I was here just a few months ago. And I, I don't travel to America every year. Somehow this year, <laughs> it must be because Lee is in Hong Kong. So I got to get away from Hong Kong more often. <laughs> but anyway, I am supposed this mo- I, I'm supposed to take upon myself the task of talking about disciple making, the nuts and bolts of it. And uh, I'm not sure why Winston want me to address this because it is quite cultural related. And uh, I don't understand the American culture that well. I think I've got some uh, lessons from Lee. Uh, but I hope that what I say, because it is basically what we do in Hong Kong, may still apply to you. All right, now I'm sure you know that American culture and Chinese culture are a bit different. For instance, the humor, you know. In Chinese humor, you have to paint very clear mental pictures for them to laugh. You know, like for instance, you may say someone knocks you on the head and then they will laugh. All right, clear mental pictures. Sort of slapstick. You call them slapstick, right, Lee? Now, I observe that for you Americans, you need to have timing, huh? Somehow the right timing, and then laugh. I don't know why, but you've got to give the right timing. And uh, very often, some of these Americans come to town, you know, like Winston and Walt, and we observe that every time they speak, they'll start with a, a joke, you see, you know? They'll tell a joke, and then everybody laughs. Then they start the message. <laughs> And the embarrassing thing is sometimes after they tell the joke, nobody laughs. <laughs> so I thought about that and I, I came up with a perfect solution. So I told the guys, the Chinese back home, I said, now, listen, when an American comes to town and speak, whatever he says, whatever, whatever things he says in the beginning, just roll around and laugh. All right? Anything, just... And things woke up pretty pretty well until one time this American preacher came to town and speak to our guys and the first thing he did was introduce his wife <laughs> and, uh, boy that nearly ruined his marriage <laughs> but anyway I'm really glad to be here this uh, this morning and uh, you know feel free to just raise your hand to stop me because it is almost impossible to cover all that we want to say in these two hours so just Anytime, all right, uh, and or make a comment or make some observation. Tell me it's different here in, in America, you know, uh, it's, and obviously it's different. So why don't we just pause and have a word of prayer, all right? Dear Lord Jesus, we come to you and we do want to hear your voice. And Father, we just ask that what we hear today will be relevant in our lives and we can use it to help men in the kingdom. In Jesus' name, Amen. Now I have not talked to Lon Sandy since coming here, but I was so pleased when he used the word, the verse, First Thessalonians two eight, because that's what I wrote in the top of my notes here, right? <laughs> and uh, the Holy Spirit must be in it, so I have full confidence as I share this morning, even though the culture is different. Now these words obviously say that. Uh, because we love you, as Lon has quoted, we are not only willing to give the gospel, but our very lives. Now, as far as the nuts and bolts of disciple-making, helping men to grow, I think this is it. If you are not willing to give your life for people, to invest your life, you will never learn 
or you will never be able to make disciples. This is the critical factor. Or put it another way, if uh, you are really willing to give your life, to spend your life, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 15, no, 2 Corinthians 12, 15, he says, I'm willing to be spent, and then he repeated, and be spent for you. Now, if you're willing to do that, then let me tell you, you don't need to listen to this two hours of talk, and don't need to listen to Lee. You will still make disciples. Alright? And if you can really understand all that the Lord has said this morning, I think that's enough. You can leave here and make disciples. For this trip, Walt Hendrickson has told me that he can arrange for me to stay with his spiritual father. You know, I never knew Walt has a spiritual father. I thought he just existed, see. <laughs> I mean, who can be his spiritual father, is it? Huh? But anyway, he said he got a spiritual pappy, you know. And he says, uh, you want to meet him? I said, sure, of course. You know, I stayed with him in 1975 and I never knew he had a spiritual father. So this time around, he says he has got a spiritual pappy and he stays in Yosemite. And then he says, if you are willing to meet him, I can go to Yosemite. Now, I do not know whether it is to meet him or to see Yosemite. But anyway, I was pleased with that. So I asked Walt, I said, how did this man lead you to Christ? He must be some great guy, some talented, gifted, you know, uh, excellent disciple maker to disciple a man like Walt Hendrickson and he told me no he was just an ordinary military man that he, make, but he met by the lake while swimming and Walt said he was a 19 year old kid uh, don't know anything he was thinking of going to the military and he met this man who came out from the military and this man gave time to walk and then let walk to Christ and Walt says as this man followed him up he knew nothing, no, no techniques, no skills, no packages, you know, just have a heart of love for Walt. And today we have Walt Hendrickson. Alright, so you don't need all this, really, but of course it helps. And uh, if you look at the scriptures, you find that Paul has that too. For instance, 1 Thessalonians 3.3, 3, 1 Thessalonians 5.2, just write down these verses. Paul keeps saying, he says, he mentions certain things and he says, as I had already told you to the Thessalonians. So it's obvious, Paul not only leads his people to Christ, he seems to have a body of teaching that he shares with them. Acts 20, 27, he says, I have del delivered unto you the whole counsel of God in Christ Jesus. Now, so it seemed quite obvious in the early church that Paul and the apostles, as Jesus has commanded them, they do teach them to observe all that God has commanded. Alright? They not only lead them to Christ, but they seem to have a body of teachings that they pass on to these people. Now obviously at this stage, I should caution you a little bit about, you know, because we are on a nut and box, we'll be talking about some techniques, some skills, some packages, and it's worthwhile to caution us against uh, such things, just that we get the right balance. Now one good passage of scriptures is Matthew 5, 6 to 13. Matthew chapter 5, 6 to 13. And it's a very familiar passage. It is a passage on the Lord's Prayer. Alright? And I'm sure all of you know the Lord's Prayer. Now I believe the Lord's Prayer is a sort of a package, right? Our Father who art in heaven and so on and so on. It's a model prayer. It's sort of a nice little package that Jesus taught the disciples. They want to learn how to pray, so Jesus gave them the Lord's Prayer. Okay? 
Now, but it's interesting that in Matthew chapter 5, in verse 6, and a few verses before the Lord's Prayer, Jesus gave two cautions. Number one, he says, don't pray to please men. Alright? Don't pray because uh, you want other people to see you doing it. Okay? Don't pray to please men. Number one. Then number two, Jesus says, don't think that there is any inherent value in the Lord's Prayer. He said, don't pray like the pagans do. Keep repeating the prayer. Now, don't you ever believe that the Lord's Prayer has some inherent mystical, magical value. That's what Jesus is saying. Now, after these two cautions, he gave a nice little package, the Lord's Prayer, which I believe is mainly to teach them how to pray. Because outside of the Gospel, the Lord's Prayer was never repeated. I'm sure you know that. It was never repeated by Paul or in the epistles. It was only in Matthew and Luke. Period. Alright? Now, so before Jesus gave the package, which is to teach them how to pray, he gave these two cautions. Number one, don't pray for the sake of men. And number two, don't have any belief that there's any inherent value in the Lord's Prayer. Now, I don't know about America, but in Hong Kong, whenever the Lord's Prayer is recited, you'll find that usually it's because of these two reasons. Number one, because you go to church, and while you're dozing off, suddenly the, the pastor says, who teaches us how to say, and then you wake up. <laughs> you know, and you hear everybody saying it, so you just join in, see, right? Now you're doing that because everybody's doing it, and you don't want to be embarrassed. You know, there are so many people in the world today who are saying the Lord's Prayer for the sake of men. Number two, especially the Roman Catholics in Hong Kong, they really believe that there's some inherent value in the Lord's Prayer. You know, when they are fearful of demons, Say the Lord's Prayer. You know, three Hail Marys, four Lord's Prayer. That do the job. Okay? You know, they really think there's some inherent value. Now, this is exactly what Jesus says and caution them against. Alright? Now, men, I think that there's this danger. Whenever you talk of nuts and bolts, it's so easy to, to deity certain packages. The TMS, or the bridge illustration, or the four spiritual law. For instance, uh, Lee and I in Hong Kong has a little sort of evangelistic Bible study. We bring men through four sessions in John Gospel, chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4. And it works very well, alright? We found that it's a fantastic tool to get the pagans in. And uh, our, our average right now is about 50%, huh, Lee? You know? Anyone who comes to our EBS, these four sessions, half of them Christians. You know? And uh, so that's pretty good. See, if you can get them in, half will become Christians. Now, so it works very well. Everybody start learning it and everybody start doing it. Then one day I was sitting around and there were a few ladies chatting, in the, you know, in the network. They were talking and... And then a few of them asked the fourth lady, who is not a Christian, uh, who apparently just became a Christian, and said, are you a Christian? And she said, yes, I just became a Christian. So one lady says, do you go through the four sessions? You know, John 1, 2, 3 and 4. She says, no, I don't even know about it. And then she says, you can't be a Christian. <laughs> okay. Now, so that's the danger. And Jesus cautioned against it. Alright? Now, <clears throat> but in spite of the caution, what Jesus did was, Jesus taught the Lord's Prayer. Right? Because for most of us, 
to get experience, we need some guidelines. It's just, I still remember when I went to medical school. When we went to the clinical years, one of the first things that is taught is how to take a clinical history and do a physical examination. All right? That means we take a history, what's your name, and what's your chief complaint, etc. etc. Right? They have books teaching that. So I used to have a little card and write down all the steps. Name, you know, age, sex, and so on and so on. And what is the chief complaint? You know, I have a little card in my pocket and I write everything down, see? So the tutor would say, now go get some patience and do it. And he tells us that later on when you're experienced, you find that you can forget about those guidelines. But for a start, you probably need it. And I still remember when I, when I attend to some of my first patients, I was still a medical student, I would say, uh, Sir, what's your name? And he would give me the name and I forget what's next. So I take out a card and, and I take a look, yes, what's your age? <laughs> you know, and I go through the whole thing, looking at the cards and you know, you see. Now we were medical students, but the patients thought we were doctors, you see. And he said, wondering, what's, this, what's wrong with this doctor? You know, keep looking at the card, you see. Now, but after a while, as I get an experience, I don't have to use those anymore. Okay? Now, so this is what we are talking today. We are talking about the nuts and bolts. And there are many people in Hong Kong who comes to me and say, Siro, why don't you write a manual on disciple making? You know, write it out. Now, we don't like to do that because once you write a manual, there is the danger of deifying all these packages, all these nuts and bolts, you know. And people begin to think that if you don't do it this way, then you're in trouble. You're not growing. You're not spiritual. And what I usually tell them is, I don't write the manual. But if you give me time, I will invest my life so that you can write your manual. You know, I will give my life so that you can write your manual. And so to be totally honest, I don't believe we can really share and teach disciple making in a session like this. Alright? We just probably talk about it. And unless you go out from here and begin to have some experience, to have some men who can help you. Because basically disciple making is giving your life to impact another life. You know? You cannot share notes. It won't work, you see. Now, I've talked to the navigators and they have this 2-7 program, which is teaching in a class. And I ask them, does it work? Does it really produce disciples? And they tell me that it only works if in the church, they have a group of men who has already been discipled by the navigators before they start 2-7. And these are the lives that finally produce the disciples. Alright? So back to what I said just now, the most important is to have a heart for men. Now, these packages will help you, but, you know, it will only work if you give your life and help them through your life. Okay? Now, again, as I said, just raise your hands anytime. I know my English is a bit difficult to understand. You raise your hand and Lee will interpret it. But the problem, <laughs> the problem is Lee is already having a Hong Kong slang, so we ask Winston to interpret it, whatever. Alright, now, so let's really get to business, and I hope to cover as much as I can. And anytime you just raise your hand, you want me to amplify on certain points, we'll do that, alright? Now, so let's first of all have an overview, okay? And this overview, I sort of draw it from the navigators with a few alterations. I think it's pretty good. The stages that are involved in disciple making. Okay, now these stages are not real. They are not necessary in the Bible. And in fact, if you're helping men, don't tell them about these stages. Okay, don't put a big poster on your wall. 
so that when he comes in and he says, you're here. <laughs> now these stages are just to help you as you plan to help him. Okay, to help you in your mind, to help your thinking. And it will be apparent as I go on how these stages will help you in your thinking. Alright? But it's not clear cut. Okay? It overlaps and there's a lot of blurred ground in between. Now, first of all, it seems the Bible says there is evangelism, right? And evangelism produces what we call a convert. Okay? Someone who really knows Christ. Real believer, born again. Okay? Now, after you have a convert, you want to establish him, okay? You use the word establish to become a disciple. Alright? Now, a disciple of, we won't go into death defining, but he's a guy who really has set up, made up his mind to follow Christ. Now, then after he becomes a disciple, we equip him to be a, what we call a laborer. You can call him whatever he likes. And Lord has talked about this. He's the disciple with the age. Okay? Now, anyway, a laborer is a person who labors, who has a contribution who is working in the kingdom. Alright? Now, among the laborers, God would select some, you can call it whatever you like, but I offer the word leaders. And I use the word develop. Okay? So this is sort of an overview. Evangelism leads to converts, and converts we establish disciples. Disciples, we equip them to be laborers. Because laborers need skills, so they need equipping. Okay? And then from laborers, we develop into leaders. Now, we won't have time to cover all of them. But I usually find, I have a, at a stage here, I usually found that when a guy comes to know Christ, it doesn't mean he becomes a convert when he prays and accepts Christ. I'm sure you know that. Huh? I, I think conversion is a mystical process. The only person who probably knows when a person becomes a Christian is God Himself. The second person who can have a good guess is yourself. Alright? But it's a mystical process. So when a person comes to know Christ, we have what a, a sort of a process in our mind that we call initial follow-up. Down here, alright? And this stage is to help a person so that even though we do not know whether he really is a Christian or not, we just help him along, you know, he's just like a little baby. We just sort of help him along until he reaches a stage whereby he is all set and determined to want to grow. He's a committed, he's committed to growth. Then we begin in our mind the process of establishment, which I will explain later. Alright? So, by and large, we do evangelism, and any person going to know Christ, we do initial follow-up, then we start estab establishing, equipping them, and develop them to become leaders. Alright? Now, Winston has asked me to share just what we do every day in Hong Kong. So, I'm going to do that. Alright? But this is the overview. Okay? Now, there are many principles involved, but I'll just read off a few that sort of involve the whole process. First of all, we always help people based on needs. Their needs. Alright? It's not based on our program. That's very important. Okay? It's based on their needs. And the needs, there are two categories of needs. Number one, they are felt needs. 
If ever they say something, that's their need. Alright, no question asked. If they say, uh, for instance, uh, I'm having trouble in my marriage, that's their need. Okay? And number two, those needs that the scripture says are their needs. For instance, the Bible says he needs the word of God. Now, he may not think so, but this is the need. Alright? Anyway, whatever it is, your program should be based on needs. On their needs. So you must be flexible. Now, most of the program I've come across in books and in, uh, and in causes is just too, sort of, too stiff. Alright? Now, I hope what I'm going to share is not very stiff. <laughs> it's flexible enough. But whatever it is, it should be based on needs. Number two, it should be based on their strength. Okay? It should be based on their strength. That means all of us have weaknesses. Doesn't mean we don't touch it. But only when our weaknesses hinder our strength or our Christian walk. If not, we try to build them up. Okay? Based on strength. For instance, there are some guys who like to pray. Then help him a lot in prayer. Or there are some guys who like to do Bible study. They don't like scripture memory, alright? Then don't force him to do scripture memory. Okay? Help him in Bible study. And if you want to help him in scripture memory, you can show how scripture memory can help him in his Bible study. Okay? But help him in his strength. And lastly, all that you do should be based on a relationship. Okay? The relationship is paramount. And I will come back to this a bit later. Alright now, so these are just some basic principles and now we'll go on to the nuts and bolts. Alright? As I said, please feel free to stop me anytime you want. What was the third one? Based on relationships? That's right, based on relationships. The relationship is paramount. For instance, uh, if I plan to share with him something, you know, I, I, feel, I feel that I want to tell him about the quiet time today. And he comes up and, uh, you know, he turns up with a friend or somebody, or there's a chance to build a relationship. Suddenly he comes with his wife. Then you drop everything, just build the relationship. Okay? Or based on needs meaning, suppose he comes, I have this thing all set up. I want to teach him the quiet time. And he shows up, and as we sat down, the first thing he says is, you know, Ciro, I really have trouble in my business. Then I just spend a whole hour praying with him over his business. Forget about the quiet time. Because that's his needs, you see. Okay, so it's always based on needs. Now, I'll come back to this again later on, but these are some principles. Okay, so let's start with initial follow-up. Alright, let's start with initial follow-up. Now, initial follow-up is just helping a person until he is totally committed to growth. Alright, that's how I define it. He's committed to growth. Of course, for some of us, this stage never ends. You know, <laughs> unfortunately. And uh, if it never ends, I never go on to the next stage. And that is why I think we can sort of help maybe uh, even 20 men, sort of keep our eyes on 20 men or 30 men, depending on how many of them are keen enough. You know, uh, Lee came out with a wonderful illustration. He says it's like playing uh, chess, you know. Have you seen the grandmaster playing chess? Alright, they'll play 50 people, alright. Uh, Fisher or Kopov, he played 50 guys. And what they do is that they sit 50 guys down, put a clock there, and he make a move. Now if you don't make a move, the grandmaster doesn't make a move. But when you make a move, he makes a move. Alright? Now so you find that for guys who doesn't want to grow, who are still in the initial follow-up stage, all you can do is make a move and wait for him. You know what I mean? 
You see? But the moment he make a move, you go on to the next stage. Now, initial follow-up, it's very important for you to understand the needs of the young Christian and base a program, as we say, on these needs. Now, all young Christians, as I see, has at least five needs. Okay, five needs. And uh, there may be more, but there are at least five needs. And we'll talk about these five needs. Now, am I talking too fast? <laughs> when I speak in Chinese, it's not so fast. <laughs> okay? Now, so five needs. Okay? There are five needs. Now, I w- number one takes a long time, so... Alright, now, there are five needs. The first category of needs is the need to know what we call the basics. Now, I will spend some time and explain what this is. Okay, what are the basics? Well, we, the basics are those things in the Christian life. The basics are those things in the Christian life that you will need for the rest of your life as a Christian. You can never stop. Okay? For instance, um, suppose you have been a Christian for 20 years. Say, Winston has been a Christian for 20 years. And... Uh, Winston had, I'm sure, pray every day, you know. Now suppose we get up this morning and he says, since I've prayed every day for 20 years, I'm going to stop now. You know, I've graduated. I've got a PhD in prayer. Alright? He'll stop. Alright? He's not going to pray anymore. He has prayed enough to last him for the rest of his life. Now, do you think that will work? It won't work, right? He needs prayer for the rest of his life. Now, so obviously, a good place to start to help young Christian to grow is to teach him all those things that he will need for the rest of his life. He should start building that in. Okay? And these are the basics. Okay? Now, and we try to sort of identify those things that the Bible says are basics, not people say. The Bible says. Okay? Now, in my file here, I've got about 16 things which I consider to be basics. But this is my list. It's more important for you to have your own list. Okay? Now, some of them, I think all of us will agree. Prayer, right? Or love, I think, is a basic. Because the scripture says, by this shall all men know you are my disciples. Okay, I have a list here. I don't know whether I should give it to you. I just, I'm just afraid that when I give it to you, then that's it. <laughs> you know, but anyway, I'll, I'll write it down, alright? I wrote my list. Now, this is only my list. It is not inspired all right it can be wrong and as you look at the scriptures you may say it's baloney see <laughs> learning american slang <laughs> okay and go ahead do it all right so basics let's take a look at that okay now in my list i have number one the quiet time okay i think a person needs a devotional walk the lord all their lives all right number two i have bible study Number three, I wrote down scripture memory, but I'm not sure, you know, but since there may be some navigators here, we better put it there, all right? <laughs> I used to think it is, but as I read more and more of the scriptures, I'm not sure, okay? All right, now, number four is fellowship. I think that's a basic. You need fellowship, okay? You can put a church if you want, but... Now, number, f- number five, 
Sorry, number, number five is prayer. You won't argue with that, right? It's the basic. Number six, it is the sacraments. I think that's the basic. Now, I'll explain that a bit later, but I think that is the basic. It's commanded by Jesus. Now, we don't feel it so much today is because I think we have lost the real experience of sacraments. Maybe I should share this with you now. I don't know whether I've shared it before. You know, recently I had a fantastic experience. I was in mainland China, you know, and, uh, and in the ministry there is this small little ministry, about 15, 20 people, you know, in a, in a small little church. Now it's not a church, it's in a home, alright? And in China what we, had, what, what, we, what we believe in is not to start churches, but to really have home worship, alright? Since there's a white piece of paper, we can do anything we like, alright? And I was in China and uh, this guy who was leading the group sort of asked me on that Sunday morning, he says, you know, Sido, can you lead the Lord's Supper this Sunday morning? I said, sure. You know, now I, I didn't know what the meeting was going to be like. But anyway, comes about 9 o'clock, 15 or 20 people turn up. And this leader, he asked those people in the house, he says, uh, you free today? You know, any of you need to go off shopping or, and everybody is free, you see? So, so great, so anyway we sat down and I thought we were going to start a meeting. I thought there would be songs, MC, something like this, you see. But nothing happened. We just sat there and chat and, you know, and twiddle our thumb and, you know. Then at a certain time, the leader says, hey, you know, last week we did some Bible study. Maybe some of us should share. So the word was shared. Now, at a time we were all sitting, facing one another in a very warm environment, in a home, alright. Then they sing some songs. And after that, they share some more, and an hour has passed, and you know, we begin to feel, really feel for one another. Then the leader said, hey, we have this chap from Hong Kong this, uh, this Sunday, his name is Sito. And uh, he will share about the Lord's Supper, and then he will lead us in this act of worship. So he passed it on to me, and so I, I fumbled around, I opened First Corinthians and shared, and, and then we broke break, you see. I tell you, man, you know, I've never had as warm, as touching a session of worship. As we book break, you know, by the time we already knew one another, there was this warmth. It's just like, maybe a little bit like after a good solid Bible study, you know? You feel one with the man, don't you? Huh? And then we took the bread and shared Christ. We book bread. And then we took the wine. And by the time it was all over, there were tears in our eyes. We want to wrap our, our hands around one another. You know? And the worship was over. Now as I walk out to the streets with this leader and I say, hey, tell me about it. He says, you know, in China, the students have two kinds of meetings. One is they go to class. And dutifully, you know, Chinese believe in respect. Dutifully, they will listen to the teacher for two hours. And they will hold a pen, taking notes, you know. The moment the teacher hit his turn, they will doze off. But they will do that. They will just take notes. Now, if you have been to China, you will find these beautifully well-behaved Chinese students doing all that. Now, after that, class is over. They go out to the streets. And if any of you have been to the third world, Philippines or whatever, you know these Asians like to talk in the streets, you know? And they talk the whole night. Now, so this girl tells me, I have two options, two models to choose. One, I can make the worship meeting another class or I can make it another talking session. 
and he says, I chose the latest. Alright? Now, but just think about this. Jesus took some very simple sacraments, bread and wine. He got the guys together and they share in worship. Now, I think in Western Christianity, many of us have lost that. You know, we go to church, this big meeting, and we worship. We don't know who this guy is. And then we break bread. We don't know who this guy is. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? And uh, we try to be well behaved. You have your tie and, you know, and uh, just in case it's drip. <laughs> you see? And you have yet, you know, I, I didn't knew. I, I did not know that I have not experienced that closeness. And finally, that, that Sunday morning, I realized how the sacraments can build me up in the law. You know, it was an experience. You must try it, see. I don't know how you can try it here. You, once you do it and you become a church. You know? <laughs> but anyway, this is a basic, whatever it is. Getting sidetracked. Alright, now. Seven, I have evangelism. Evangelism. And eight, I have some basic doctrines, which I only have two or three. No time to list them now. Alright? Now on this side, I have another list of eight. And this is basically because they have to do with concepts. There's nothing you can do. Bible study, for instance, you can teach him how to do it. Quiet time, you can teach him how to do it. But you cannot teach him how to do assurance of salvation. He either got it or haven't got it. Right? Sorry? Assurance of salvation. See, you, you can't teach him how to do assurance of salvation. Okay? Now, you cannot teach him how to do the Lordship of Christ, can you? Now, I believe you have to teach men on the forgiveness of sin. I think this is very important. I don't know about Americans. Chinese are very guilty conscious of their sin because of the Confucianist background. Okay? The conf see, Confucianism basically gives you a set of rules that you can never observe. Okay? set of rules you can never observe. And that is why, to witness to a Chinese, if you say, God has a great plan in your life, it may not mean anything. If you tell a Chinese, you know, we're supposed to really respect and care for our fellow men or our family. You think you have done it? Yeah, that will be more relevant. See, because he has not done it. He knows Confucius say so, but he has not done it. So we always teach about forgiveness of sin. Very important. Many Chinese go around with a big guilt conscious. I was one of them. Then we need to teach them about victory. I think it's the basic. Love. Faith. We have to walk by faith, not by sight. I think good works is a basic. And lastly, giving. Alright? Now, this is my list. Alright? This is my list. But at this stage, it's not important what you put in the list. What I want to say here is, in initial follow-up, the most important thing is for you to help a man to experience the basic, not to know the basics. Alright, to experience the basic. That's it, you see. Now, the next step which is establishing, you then go on to help them to what we call structure the basics. And I'll, expl I'll explain that later. But structure basically means so that he can put it in well order, he knows it, he has an outline or something, whatever. But at this stage of initial follow-up, it's most important to help them to experience the basics. For instance, the quiet time. He doesn't, even need, he doesn't even need to know how to define it. Doesn't matter. 
He doesn't even need to know he's having a quiet time. It's most important that he has a quiet time. Alright? See, he experiences and have it with God. Alright? Now, one very common mistake, I think, for many of us is that we often forget that we have, we have grown spiritually. And often we think that a young Christian need the same diet as we do. Okay? For instance, the quiet time. Just to take one example, alright? We just take the quiet time. Now, normally in the quiet time, I usually introduce a concept on a day of salvation. He accepts Christ, and after some talking or assurance, in fact, I think the quiet time, in my opinion, is the most important thing a young Christian ought to learn. Even more than assurance. See, it's most important for him to start experiencing God. That's it, right? I mean, if he doesn't, if he's Armenian, so what? <laughs> you know, the, it's most important he start experiencing the Lord Jesus Christ. So on the day of salvation, I would tell him, I say, you know, you need to learn to go on, right? He said, yeah. So I say, you know, for me, what I do is, I have a quiet time. He said, what's that? So I give him a few reasons why I have a quiet time. Now, he doesn't need a lot of reasons. All he needs is enough reasons so that he wants to have a try. You follow me? Now, you may have 10 reasons in your textbook. doesn't matter. Just give him enough. Sometimes, you give one reason. He's all excited. That's enough. Alright? You know, he doesn't need to know reasons. So, he's excited. So, I say, why don't we do it together? You know, can we meet sometime? We do it together. And so, we set a time. Alright? Now, when I meet him, my first quiet time with the man is only five minutes, not longer. Now, that's very important because when I first started doing this, I used to have, I have about half an hour quiet time for years, all right? And I know some of you guys spend an hour every morning with the Lord. But that's you. Now, if you teach this young Christian quiet time, you know, I once walked into a room and I saw this architect having a quiet time with a young Christian, you know? And this architect spent one hour with the Lord every morning. So that dear brother, when he lead this guy to Christ, he want to teach the one hour quiet time. You know, so I walked into the room and there was this architect opening his Bible, meditating. And there was this young Christian sitting there desperate, you know, because it was already 45 minutes. He couldn't get out. He was too polite. <laughs> and there he was. <laughs> he doesn't know how to meditate for one hour. You follow me? And... And when I walked in, he was so happy. <laughs> you know, he could get out, you see. Now, but the first time I had quiet time with a man, I only had spent five minutes with him. That's all. Alright? And I usually tell him this. I say, you know, a quiet time is just like meeting a friend. Now, what do you do when you meet a friend? You greet, right? Greetings. Okay? So, I say for that, we pray. So, we pray. Simple prayer. Lord, please listen to us this morning. Amen. Now, to you, there's nothing much of a prayer. To the young Christian, that's fantastic prayer. Alright? <laughs> now, so, so don't think you've got to give your standard 15 minutes elaborate prayer. Alright? Share all your needs. and You know, just simple prayer. Number two. Then, you want to listen to what he has got to say. And since God is more important than me, we give him a chance. So we listen. And to listen, we just read the Bible. Alright, just read. So I take a simple passage. You can do anything you like. You know, uh, daily bread or whatever, okay? Uh, one year Bible, whatever it is. Just read a passage, okay? Short passage. Ten verses, five verses. Number three, I say, if that person is important enough after listening, what do we do? We think about it, don't we? 
So we think. So I think, you know. Now I don't teach him anything on meditation in that first day. Just think about it. He's happy. He's think about it. He will think about it. If he doesn't want to think, I say, if it's John Gospel chapter one, I say, think about, think about verse twelve. You see, he just accepted Christ, so verse twelve means a lot, right? As many as receive him, to them give him power. You know, that verse is nothing to you. That verse is something to him. Okay, so think. Number four, I say you should apply. You see, you should think what should this, what does this mean to my life? Apply. Okay. And lastly, we say goodbye. And that is another prayer. Now, so in simple words, my first quiet time with this young Christian is pray, read the Bible, pray. That's it. Five minutes. Now, the young Christian will say, hey, I can do that, right? That's easy. You know? And now, of course, at the end of the quiet time, five minutes, you feel dry like crazy. You're not getting blessed. Now, so it's very tempting for you to believe that it doesn't bless the young Christian too. Now, that's where you're wrong. Okay? I'm sure you, you experience this all the time. I remember when I was a young Christian, there was one preacher that I loved listening to. Fantastic, great guy. Scottish man, you know. Then, uh, he went off for furlough and disappeared for about two, three years in Scotland. And then he came back, so I heard that he's going to preach, so I went and listened to him. And I tell you, he was the most plain, most ordinary speaker I've ever heard. Okay? You know why? I've grown, see? Now, so that's all the young Christian needs. Five minutes quiet time. Okay? So I say, want to do it again? He says, five minutes, no big deal. So do it again. Okay? Now, and as time goes on, I say, hey, you know, besides praying, you can also confess your sins here. So I add something on. After maybe two, three weeks, I add confession. You know, what I usually do is I say, you know, uh, it's good to, to confess your sin specifically because confession, homo logio, is to agree with God that this is wrong. Alright? So you want to agree with God, you should confess your sin. He said, okay. So I said, I'll tell you what, we'll pray this time and we'll have about one to two minutes of silent prayer because he may not want to confess his sin in front of you. Although once I, I was helping a man and he didn't, he didn't understand me, so he confessed his sin aloud. <laughs> the problem is then I have to do it, see. <laughs> but anyway, I put in confession. Alright? I put in confession. Then I say, hey, you know, there's be you know, besides thinking, you should learn how to meditate. So I teach him how to meditate. You know, you can use the seven minutes with God. I like to use word by word emphasis. I teach him how to meditate. Now that comes in maybe about after five, six, seven weeks. You know? And then as time goes on, I say, hey, you know, um, you see, usually when you teach him how to pray, it's just petition, ordinary petition. Then you may teach him how to worship, praise. You may teach him some praise, all right? Get it on, okay? And then uh, apply, you may say, let's be specific about it, see? Can you think of something that really applies to you? And then when you pray, you pray over this. Now, the point I want to make is, in the course of about three months, if he is faithful, I will add things to it. Very slowly. Okay? Now, but back here. What the young Christian need most at this stage, the initial follow-up, is to experience the basics. Not to understand, not to 
structure, not, you know, just experience the basic. Just help him to experience it. Okay? For instance, uh, fellowship. No big deal. Just introduce some Christian friends to him. He needs to experience the warmth of Christian fellowship. He doesn't even need to understand it. You follow me? He just needs to experience it. Alright? So, first, basic is to experience it. Now, you can do that. If you are already having some basics in your life, you can then help someone to experience it. Alright? Alright, now, the next one, these are not in orders of importance, they are all important. They need to have a loving relationship with you. As we always say, it's always based on relationship. Anyway. Now, so very, very early, and I'm sure you all do it all the time, very, very early, once a guy comes to know Christ, I try to bring him into my family. You know, I say, hey, you know, and one good thing is my wife cooks fantastic curry. All right, Len would like that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, you know, so I say, have you tasted fantastic, you know, Singapore curry? You like that? So he comes to my home, see? We build relationships very early. You know, everything is based on this relationship. Now, so if you have, are helping some young Christian, and you have not done anything that is a relationship in nature, then there's something wrong. Alright? Very early, I do this. Okay? Now, the third thing is, I put down doubts. The third need. Now, remember when I was a young Christian, I used to have lots of doubts, don't you? You know, lots of doubts. Am I really safe? What happened to my sin? What about those who never heard? You know what I mean? Lots of doubts. And very often I go to church, I don't dare to ask, ask about them. Because they will frown at me. What's that? What's that? You know? Now, but I have lots of doubts. So very early on, in the first few months in helping a young Christian, I normally ask them, you know, I normally say, you have any doubts? And we talk about it. Okay? Now, in fact, if you evaluate your follow-up, have you talked to the, that young Christian about his doubts? Have you, have you interacted? Now, I don't believe he has no doubts. <laughs> you know? If he has no doubts, it's because probably you have not developed an atmosphere for him to express it. You know, you must talk about it. Interact. Just talk about it. See? Not plan. Yes. As best as I know how. You know, if I cannot... You know? Yes. Do you do this on a one-on-one basis or with a group of people? I do this very often one-on-one, -on -one, but this can easily be done as a group. If suppose you have two or three guys that you know are having a lot of doubts, then you just get them together, see? But I do one-on-one -on -one because sometimes for a young Christian, they don't know it's alright to express these doubts. You know, they know you're a great Christian, you know? To him, you're, you're poor. Serious, I mean, he's not kidding. He, he thinks you're the greatest Christian on earth. How can he, he torpedo your beliefs, you know? So he won't express it unless you, you sort of fish it out. Now, but every young Christian has doubts. You've got to deal with it, you know? Spend hours dealing with this. Take your time. Now, as I said, if you meet him for one or two hours over lunch and all you did was to answer a couple of doubts, you did very well, okay? You have helped him. You have blessed his life. And that's very important. Okay? Now, 
the next category of needs is, I put down here, uh, warning and encouragement, or encouragement and warning. Got a verse to Acts 14.23, and basically what this verse says, Paul says, let's go back to those churches and encourage them and tell them what great trouble they have to face. That's warning. Acts 14.23. Now, what is encouragement? Well, encourage is for the faint-hearted. Now, I remember when I was, when I was a young Christian, I, get, I was discouraged many times. You know, can I make it? Will I be a good Christian? Now, I was discouraged. Why didn't God help me? <laughs> you know? Now, therefore, let me ask you, as you help the young Christian, have you ever encouraged him? See, if you have not encouraged him, then there's again something wrong. You must learn how to encourage him. Okay? Now, warning is to tell him beforehand of troubles that may happen. For Paul, in those churches, Paul warned them about persecution because he knows it's coming. And for all these young Christians you're helping, many of them will face trouble. You know it's coming. For instance, uh, for instance you know, a, a guy comes to know Christ. And he has a non-Christian wife. Okay? And maybe you even know that, that lady and, and she can give trouble. You know it, see? Maybe it's good for you to warn this guy. <laughs> now sometimes in such cases, I warn him before he accepts Christ. So that he knows what he's in for. Alright? But you've got to warn them. Now in our college ministry, they always warn these guys about graduating. What it's like. They always tell them what it's like. Warn them beforehand. Now, so is the onus is on you to try to look ahead and predict what are the problems this young Christian is going to face. In his business, for instance. You know, in, uh, in the things he needs to do. In our culture, for instance, one of the great warnings is the family. You see, if you come to know Christ, your, your dad and mom wouldn't like it. For me, for instance, when I became a Christian, I was asked to leave my home three times. My dad said, get out. <laughs> You see? And that need to be that that need to that warning need to be told. Alright? Now have you ever sat down and and go through in your mind as you pray over this man what troubles he will have to face? You need to warn him. That's what Paul did. Okay? And encourage him. Alright? Alright, lastly is rebuke. Now I'm not saying you do this very often. In fact, when should you do this? Okay? First test five fourteen. And what first test five fourteen says this? He says, you know, first test five fourteen. Maybe I should read it. First Thessalonians 5.14 First Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 14 And he says here And we urge you brethren Admonish the unruly Rebuke the unruly That's what he says Now what are the unruly? Well, the unruly as I understand Are people who know what is right to do Who can do it But refuse to do it You follow me? They know what is right to do Okay? And they, they could do it. You know, they, they jolly well can do it, but they refuse. Paul says, rebuke them. Okay? 
Encourage the faint-hearted. Now, what are the faint-hearted? The faint-hearted are those who know what is right to do, wants to do it, but can't do it. Don't have the strength. Paul says for those people, encourage them. Okay? And lastly, he says, help the weak. Okay? The weak are those who know what is right to do and again have no strength. Help them. So when do you rebuild? You only rebuild those who know what is right to do, who can do it, but refuse to do it. Then you rebuild them. And then, of course, Paul also says we must be patient with all men. Now, I think that means if you're not sure, just be patient. Okay? In time, it will show up. Alright? Now, for instance, in our ministry, we have some men who are involved in immorality. And uh, it's not a question of weakness because, you know, they, they know jolly well, <laughs> you know, they're in for trouble. Uh, for instance, they will take long trips and, uh, and, and get away from their family. They know jolly well they're going to be in trouble and yet they do it. We rebuild them. Okay? And rebuild them sternly. It has to be done. Alright? So, I think one of the things a young Christian needs is if he's unruly, disobedient, you have to rebuke him in love. Alright? Now, I find that among us Chinese, it's very difficult for us to do this. We don't like to do it. You see? But if you don't do it, very often you cannot disciple people. It's very difficult for me to do this. But sometimes we have to do it. Alright? Now, let's review. So, first of all, a young Christian needs to experience the basics. You need to build a loving relationship with him. He will have doubts, so you must help him in his doubts. You've got to encourage and warn him. And lastly, you have to rebuke him if he's disobedient. Now, all that you do in the first few months, as you relate with this young Christian, in initial follow-up, is based on these needs. Alright? Now, so you say, but I don't know his needs. Well, it's a job to find out. <laughs> See, you've got to get to know him. And as you get to know him, he will tell you those needs. Alright? And it's your job to find out. Now, I've got in my file about 10 things that I normally do with a young Christian based on these needs. But I'm not going to tell them to you. You see? Because I think it's very easy for you to sit down then, based on these needs, to figure out what you should do. Alright? Now, okay, let's see. What time should I stop, Winston? Uh... I can go on for another 15 minutes. Okay, yeah. Alright, now any questions, any comments, any, uh, you know, any, any, anything you want to add? But this is how we usually help a young Christian. Yes? Well, we normally pray out loud, but, you know, again, do what is best with you. You know, your life. See, if you, what is comfortable with you. For instance, you want to give some reason why you should have a quiet time. Now, you open some textbook, they will give you 20 reasons, alright? Now, you should share those reasons that is really relevant for you. Because the young Christian will smell if it's artificial, you know? 
Why I have a quiet time? Because of the doctrine of God and man. Well, they say, man, these guys. <laughs> <You know? laughs> He's not theologian. I mean, come on. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> no, share something that is you. See, is, as I said, follow-up is life onto life. See, just share your life. That's all. You know, so just... <clears throat> Tell me a little bit about your Bible studies over there in Hong Kong. I mean, I just something briefly. Do you, do you just uh, have a specific thing you teach out there? You yeah. pray, you talk, how many people are in there? Yeah, that kind of stuff. All right, now, we have found that, at least I have found, that as I minister to men above 45, it's very hard for you to sit down and teach him. For instance, okay, this is the four spiritual law. One, two, three, four, you know. Now, I don't know why. Maybe it's because, you see, many of these packages that are written up are written up basically for college students. You know, the campus crusade, navigators, you see. But, you know, you, you, you talk to a 45-year-old businessman. For the last 20 years of his life, nobody has pointed a finger to him and teach him. You know? And I find that when I do that to him, to him he doesn't know how to respond. You know, you sit there, look at me, what am I doing? Selling him insurance or something? You know, <laughs> you see? You know he doesn't know how to respond, you see? You know what I mean? So I normally, you know, don't teach men to men. If I teach, I get a group, then they know how to respond. You know? So, so what I do, I just help him to do it, see? Like for instance, using a step of peace with God. I never sit down and teach the guy. I just say, let's go do it, see? And as I do it, he said, hey, I like to, you know, how do you do that? And then another guy said, how do you do that? I said, why don't we get together and I share with you guys. So we got a few together and it's a little class. And they know how to respond. You know, I, I don't know. I don't know whether it ties in with you. But for guys who are 50s and 45, they don't like me to sit down and, and say, one, two, three, four, get it down in your notebook. Four, you know, they don't like that. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I don't do that. <laughs> You see, I do it in the class if that is needed. If not, I just help him along and experience, you know, in a sense, we are very cavalier as we help these young Christians. Now, on your question on the Bible study, well, again, the same thing. Normally what we do is, when it comes to Bible study, we get a guy going in quiet time, unless he wants to study. All right? Or unless he comes to know Christ in the in evangelistic Bible study and it's a continuation. All right? Now, normally what I usually do is, as I get a few guys that are keen, you know, says, here's a guy doing the quiet time, he's growing, he, he's, uh, you know, learning the other basics, he prays, his life changed, he's settling certain issues, I will come to that a bit later. And then there's another guy, there's another guy, then I suggest they have a Bible study together. Now the reason is, because if not, then I have five guys in the Bible study, three committed, two not committed, you know, one is in the middle, and then, I end up not knowing what to do, see? You know what I mean? So I don't move a guy into a Bible study usually unless he begins to show some faithfulness in other areas. If not, I just work on those. You know? Now the moment I got a few guys that are committed, I put them in Bible study, we find that they really help one another to grow. And this group begins to gel. They begin to share their fellowship on the basis of the Word. And it just binds them together. And Hopefully, this group become an accountability group. Now, as to the methods, we first sort of teach them how to analyze a passage. You know, just a passage. And for each of these basics, we have a passage. You know, so that for a young Christian, we say, hey, you know, we will say, uh, you know, you want to do Bible study? I'll teach you a method how to analyze this passage. 
And all these passages are classical passages in the Bible. You know, classics, man, it's like the Lord's Prayer is in there. You see? And I say, if you go through all these passages, you sort of know everything there is to know about Christianity. You see? Or about the, the, the basics in Christian living. You want to do that? He said, sure. So we then bring them to these passages. Alright? And it will take a couple of months. Alright? So we teach them how to analyze passages. Then we teach them, how, teach them how to analyze chapters. And it's sort of inductive study. And then go on to a book. So we sort of progress as we go along. See. So actually these Bible studies do turn into an accountability group later on. Hopefully. With the same people. That's right. So normally what I do is I don't... You see, there are a lot of Bible studies in churches that is what we call fellowship Bible studies. That means nobody prepares except the leader. It's another sermon. Now, I think there's enough of those. Uh, we don't run those, all right? But if you want them to prepare, then you've got to get men who, who wants it, see? You know? So we just let time rolls along, and as God raised up these men, we bring them together. And then this group will develop into an accountability group. If not, they won't. You see? If not, it will just be another fellowship Bible study. Okay? Yes? Well, accountability group is, I'm sure you all know, there's no such thing as, there's no such thing as a spiritual great man. You know, in Chinese we have Kung Fu, you know Kung Fu. In, in Kung Fu ideology and, and, and legendary, we talk of people who are really good in Kung Fu, you know. You see, we have all kinds of fan, famous names. Now, we Christians tend to like to do that for Christians too. You know, we have our Billy Graham, you know. Uh, Oral Roberts. <laughs> you see, some of you <laughs> would agree with that. <laughs> I thought you'd be all over by March, but it wasn't. <laughs> but anyway, see, we like to sort of put great names there. But to be honest, gang, I'm sure you know, there's no such thing as a great man in the kingdom of God. We are all afraid. You know, we can be spiritual here, we walk out to the streets, and we fall into sin. And that's why we need one another. Okay? As I always say, I say, when you hear that Siro Wing Hong fall into sin, don't be surprised. Just make a commitment to help me, to get me back on track. You know? You see? It's very easy for us to fall into sin. Isn't it? So we need accountability. We need men to really care for one another. You see? And that only comes with a commitment first to the Lord. And as they study the word to one another. And it's a beautiful relationship. It is one of the most attractive things. Because in our Chinese culture, as men grow older, they have less and less friends. You know? My dad, for instance, no friends. No friends at all. And then when they see this band of Christians, the way they love one another, that will change the world. Okay? I don't know whether to answer your question. <laughs> Alright. Okay, uh, I think my 15 minutes is up. Shall we take a break? Or We're supposed to break for lunch at 12, isn't it, Winston? 12.30. 12.30. I see, okay. So we take a break now.